Hello there, and welcome to Big Show Number Ten for the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. It's Sunday, November thirteenth, two thousand and five. Sit back and get comfortable. We're going to go through a lot of neat new stuff this week. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Treks in Sci-Fi. Oh, we were dead. No power or phasers, useless. Spock, do something. Get my ship out of there. But don't you understand? We've got to destroy it. Hello again, everyone. This is your host, Rico, for the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. I want to just first welcome any new listeners to the show. I really appreciate you listening into this podcast. I know there's thousands of them out there these days and more more showing up all the time. So I really appreciate the time you're taking to listen to uh, my podcast on science fiction, Star Trek, and collectibles. I also want to thank the people out there that have been listening for a while. And I've got uh, quite a few new emails this week, so I know that there are quite a few long-term listeners, and I really appreciate uh, you taking the time also to listen to my podcast. So again, this is Rico, and this week's main topics on the podcast for big show number 10 are going to be, first we're going to talk about some letters that I've, some emails that I've gotten, not letters, uh, nobody writes anymore, they just email Email, instant message, Skype. Yeah, it's the year 2005. So, um, But I'm going to talk about the letters, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about some science fiction TV, and we have actually a special guest star, guest star coming up for that little segment, so I think you're going to enjoy that. And then we're going to be talking about the original Star Trek uh, series episode, The Doomsday Machine, and it is really one of my all-time favorite episodes. Actually, it's it's probably one of the episodes I've seen the most almost. It it's just it's just a lot of fun to watch over and over again to me. There's there's a lot of action in it. So we're going to get to that shortly, but we're going to talk about the Doomsday Machine quite a bit and I've got a lot of audio clips for that show or for that part of the podcast. And then the collectible I'm going to look at this week is the Master Replicas again uh companies Han Solo, uh, A New Hope, original um, for the first Star Wars movie, the, the truly first Star Wars movie, his um, a blaster replica from that, which was one of the first, I think it was actually the first Master Replicas piece that was put out uh, for the Star Wars series that they've been doing for years now. So we're going to look at that later on. But the first segment I want to get to is listener email. Incoming transmission, Captain. Okay, the first email that I want to talk about is from my friend here, Len Preston, and he writes, Dear Rico, I think your show is great. I've been listening to Treks and Sci-Fi since the beta cast, and it just keeps getting better. I appreciate that. I am trying to make it a little bit better, a little smoother. I'm getting better with all the technical aspects. So he uh, says he appreciates the insights to the Star Trek episodes, and he, he really is enjoying the audio clips that I put in the show. And he liked the last show, especially on the Best of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and 2, that I went over with last week. He also says that, like I had said, he agrees that these are uh, a lot, or very much like Riker episodes. I mean, that is the main thrust of the show, I think. And he's uh, sounds like he's a big fan of the podcast. So, Len, I appreciate your email a lot. I, I really enjoy hearing from new people. And, and it sounds like you've been listening since the beginning, but the first time that you've written, I think... And you're um, sounds like you're really enjoying it, so I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Len. Appreciate your email. The next email that I have here is from somebody from Brazil. It says he's living in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, this is from uh, Ricardo Santiago. I hope I said that properly. Uh, it sounds like a, a, a very uh, South American-type name. But anyway, just wanted to send a quick note. He said to me that he's... Uh, Really enjoying the podcast. He likes the way I go through the Star Trek episodes, and he also shares my appreciation of the Star Trek universe. 
this the same little sort of well mine's a, more of a nickname rico but uh my real name is rick but ricardo i i i think uh is i used to get called that as a kid sometimes by my grandmother i think so that's kind of where partly the nickname came from for me but uh He's listened to some of the recent shows, and he's going back and listening to the older ones. But, uh, Ricardo, I appreciate uh, your email. Sounds like he, he wrote in his email he, he's a married guy with uh, lots of activities and does sports and enjoys Star Trek. So, again, welcome aboard. And I think you also mentioned your yeah you're mentioning in your email you enjoy tennis, which is kind of interesting because that's uh, one of my favorite sports to play when I get the chance to. I, I, I really enjoy playing outdoor type sports and tennis always reminds me i live in i live in the midwest and it's pretty cold here most of the year so any sport that involves outside and nice warm weather is is good with me so thanks for your email ricardo on to the next one the next email i got uh actually just got this uh about a day ago i think is from sam o'reilly ah like o'reilly on on star trek Kevin Thomas O'Reilly. This is from Sam. He's uh, He's got a real nice email here. I'm going to read a little bit of it. Uh, he says, thanks for putting out such a great show. There's a deluge of trash out there with this new podcast format. And he's saying that uh, definitely my podcast is set apart for most of those by far. He's enjoying all the analysis and discussion of the episodes uh, of Star Trek. And he's really appreciating that since the recent cancellation of Enterprise, we don't really have any new new star trek to enjoy this year and i you know i'm i'm with you on that sam i really enjoyed enterprise especially the last couple of seasons i think it never really got a chance i also think that you know the thing about all the star trek series people said that they needed to change you know they needed to rework the format they needed to make it different or whatever and i i don't really agree with that i i think what what they needed to do was just to have good stories good scripts good ideas in them you know, they didn't need to turn Star Trek into something like the new Battlestar Galactica. I don't think that's that would be work, work at all. I don't think that's that universe. I think you just need good stories, good characters, and interesting stories going along with those. But uh, Sam also asks in his, he enjoyed the Best of Both Worlds show from last week. I, I enjoyed that as well. I, I really enjoy The Next Generation, and I want to do more of those episodes and talk about them in the future. And he's asking, Sam's asking if there's any chance of doing any Deep deep Space Nine, DS9 shows. And that's a definite, Sam. It's going to be fairly soon also. that Deep Space Nine, to me, was, was a wonderful series. The thing that makes it a little difficult to do a podcast on that series and those episodes is that those episodes were, there was such an ongoing story arc with Deep Space Nine, especially the later seasons that, it's difficult to talk about just an individual episode without all the backstory that goes with it. But I will definitely be talking about Deep Space Nine and Deep Space Nine uh, episodes in very near in the very near future in, on this podcast. So, Sam, I really appreciate your email. Thanks a lot. And uh, I think that brings us to the end of the email discussion segment part to this show, to this uh, week's podcast one thing I wanted to mention to the, especially the people that have emailed and other fans of the sh- this podcast, I recently, well, yesterday, played around with adding uh, a set of forums to the website, to the Treks and Sci-Fi website, which is at www.treksf.com, or you can go to also treksinsci-fi.com. Either one will get you to the main site, and those uh, there's a link there now to a forum section. It's very, very new. There aren't a lot of people, obviously, on it yet. But, I, you know, I'm just hoping to get some good Star Trek discussion, some science fiction discussion going on the forum. Anyone that wants to, to jump in uh, and put your, uh, you know, register and, and add some comments wherever you'd like, Any, anything you want me to add to the forum, please uh, let me know either on the forum or in an email. This is very, very new, and I'm open to suggestions. So I just thought it would be a good place, too, to put comments uh, there for everyone to see about the podcasts and how you like each show, what what you think I should do different or maybe more of or less of. But go ahead and put them on the forum as well. Or you can send me an email still at treksf at gmail.com. Either one will work. But uh, just wanted to let people know there's forums up for the show now So and for the website, I guess. It's all one one thing for me. And 
anyone, again, please take a look at that and put down your uh, comments. And now we're going to get into the next segment with our special guest star. And we're going to get to that right after this. Hi, this is Len from Jawbone Radio. And whenever I need the latest Star Trek or sci-fi news, I listen to my friend Rick on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Hey, do you think he's going to be talking about Wookiees? Because I love Wookiees. Okay, we're going to do a, a little something different this week. I have a special guest, and we're going to be talking about a television show that we both enjoy. My special guest is my son, Eric. And I'm going to play a Skype conversation that we had just earlier this morning about the NBC series Surface. So, without any further ado, here we go. Me and Eric about Surface. All right, I have on the on the Skype call line with me my son Eric. And hey, hey, hey Eric. <laughs> What's up? Oh, nothing. Just doing another podcast, you know. So <laughs> we're um we're doing a little test this week on trying to get a uh, a Skype call recorded and having a little difficulty with it. So we're actually just sort of duping two audacity files together. But that's a bunch of technical talk. So um but right now I wanted to get Eric uh, into the podcast because uh, uh, he and I have been uh, watching the show uh, Surface uh, on Monday nights. And uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about that since it's sort of a science fiction type show. So what do you think about this uh, this new show called Surface, Eric? Well, I think it's it's got a good idea to it how there's a new species of vertebrae and um, that they don't really know what it is, and they're trying to figure out what it is, and uh-huh. the government's trying to cover it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just like the premise of the government being, like, you know, corrupt, and they're trying oh, to cover so up something. You, so you think the government's corrupt, huh? It's either that or government is corrupt, and they ha- they've hired uh, some sort of other company to cover it up for them. yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There seems to be a lot of these shows on on TV these days that are all involve like some kind of cover up of the government. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, what people are thinking uh, the government's doing these days. I, I don't know, but but that's kind of off uh, off really what I wanted to talk about. I, I just I just like the show. I think uh, I like I like shows that have uh, involved things in the ocean. You know, because the ocean is like three quarters, or isn't that right? like three quarters of the planet and we really don't know a whole lot about what's down in there and yeah and this uh this isn't really an alien invasion type show it's just a show more about uh exploring the oceans and and probably finding things in the ocean that we don't know about so uh so what do you think about the uh the effects that they've done and the, the little creatures and things that they've got on the show i think one the the one that the boy has is is called nimrod what do you think? Yeah. What do you think about Nim? It's so it, it's cool how they can, uh, you know, use CGI to make that creature come to life. While you know, in essence, it's it's not really there, and they just put it in later. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's it's just cool how detailed it's getting nowadays. Yeah, they. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job with it. I think I read that they in the one of the early couple of shows they had a little more. Uh, like little models like that were real like little lizards they had made for for him in the show but now they're doing it all with uh with computer graphic type stuff just like a lot of the movies and and TV shows do now so so what what are they let's see there's going to be a show on tomorrow that's they're going to go down way down deep right they're building their yeah, own yeah they build that submarine and are going to test it out i guess and go down there yeah the they build this uh diving bell out of like spare parts in somebody's backyard it looks like so that yeah. that should be pretty pretty fun i think it's uh yeah I've, I've watched the other ones like invasion this year and i don't know this one surface i just find it a little bit more fun and a little more i don't know if it's realistic or, or what but so what what else do you think about the show do you do you think it's going to stay on the air for a while you think you, um, what do you think uh, I, I i think because just because of the fact that it's on nbc it's getting uh, a fan base just from being on one of the major networks. It's not, you know, a new show yeah. on sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think people are liking the idea, 
and I think they're going to stick with it for a while, and I'm sure it'll be around for at least a season more. Yeah, they. Uh, I think that I read they've they've got a commitment to do the whole season for this year at least. So we'll see how it ends up uh, how it ends up in the uh, at the end of the year. I know that other show, that alien show called Invasion, that's on uh, on Wednesday after Lost. I tried to watch that a few times, but I didn't really like it that much. And I think that's doing better in the ratings, but I think that's just because it's on uh, after Lost, which is which is pretty popular. And we watched that one also, right? Yeah. I think people are just watching Lost, and then, you know, they see the... Uh, they can't get up and turn the... The, little, the, the intro to Invasion, I either think it's cool, or they just are too lazy to get up and turn it off. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. So, so anyway, we just wanted to say we're enjoying uh, we're enjoying the show Surface on Monday nights on NBC, and, and uh, if anyone else out there likes the show or what your thoughts are, please uh, send, uh, send an email into the podcast, so... All right, I just wanted to thank Eric for joining us for this little small piece of uh, today's show. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye-bye, bud. All right, see ya. Thanks for doing that, Eric. Uh, I really appreciate uh, that little segment. It was a lot of fun, and and I'm going to try to do that more with other people over Skype and add in little bits like that on different science fiction things, Star Trek and so forth in in the near future on the podcast so anyone that maybe want to participate or has like a particular movie or tv show that they want to uh bring up and and have a little five minute segment like that with me that would be uh that'd be great so let's do that the next thing i wanted to mention was that in your feed if you're getting this through itunes or another feed type uh, aggregator for the podcast you'll probably see that i have also included and sent out a one a new one minute promo for the podcast and I did that. I wasn't sure whether to put it in the feed, but I thought I would for a couple of reasons. One, if anyone else out there has friends that are interested in science fiction and Star Trek, it's a nice little snippet you could you can attach to an email and send off to them to get them give them a feel for what the podcast is all about. And it was just to get, get it out there and get a little more exposure, I guess, for me to different people. So, I mean, obviously, if, after you listen to it, if you want to delete it, go ahead. The That's fine, too. So... But it's out there, it's in your feed, and that promo, the one thing I wanted to mention about that, the background music that I used on that was from a new little bit of a segment I'm going to do on this podcast called the uh, sort of lost movie gem of the week that I wanted to bring up. This week, that that little movie gem that I wanted to mention is the, the movie from the 1980s, I think it was around 1984, maybe? I'll have to look that up. 85? But it's called The Last Starfighter. Now, there's probably most of the people or maybe a lot of people listening to the podcast have seen that film. It's basically about a teenage boy living in a trailer park with his mom and younger brother. And this was in the 80s video game craze, mostly video games at arcades. I mean, there was the Atari system for home and all that. But there was a video game called The Last Starfighter. And these little video game machines were put on Earth actually to recruit starfighters for, you know, fighting in real starfighters out in the galaxy against the bad guys and so forth and so on. I'm not going to say a lot about it, really. Not not want to taking up a lot of time on that. But if anyone who hasn't seen The Last Starfighter, if you really enjoy just a fun time, a uh, fun movie, and enjoy that that kind of time, a little more innocent kind of a film, but it's it's real good. The music in it, I just love. I, I love the music in the movie, and I love a lot of what they're trying to do in it. But check it out if no one's seen it, and if you have seen it, you know, put some comments, send me an email about it, what you thought about it, and or uh, post something on the forum. But that's the uh, movie gem of the week. Now, into the heart of the podcast, or the normal heart of the podcast, which will be this week, the original Star Trek episode, original series Star Trek episode. The Doomsday Machine. Here's the preview. What happened to your crew? Oh, we, we were dead. Mr. Sulu, you will lay in an evasive course back to the Constellation. Aye, aye, sir. Belay that last order, Helmsman. We're going to attack. You will carry out my last order, Mr. Sulu. <laughs> I'm assuming command of the Enterprise. But I would advise against it.
Scotty. Get us out of here. Prepare to beam me aboard on my signal. Gentlemen, I suggest you beam me aboard. Now I'm going to give my little disclaimer as usual. Anyone? And probably, again, who has not seen? Raise your hands. Who has not seen the Doomsday Machine from the original Star Trek series? I mean, I know people who don't even know Star Trek very well at all, and it seems like they've all they all know this this episode. So, but basically, warning, warning: if you haven't seen it in a while, go see it and then come back. Now we're going to talk about the Doomsday Machine. This episode, basically, the beginning of it, uh, Kirk and crew on the Enterprise find the USS Constellation drifting in space, badly damaged. And just it's just a wreck. And they also are exploring a solar system that, you know, there's rubble and debris and the planets seem to be, you know, they're, they're gone. They're destroyed. A couple of them are. And so they're trying to figure out what's going on. And there's a lot of subspace interference. They can't contact Starfleet. They can't really, they can't raise anybody on the constellation. So there's a beginning part to this where Spock and Kirk are on the bridge and they're talking about, hey, what's up with the Constellation? Give me a report. And we're going to play a clip from that part right now. Mr. Spock, full evaluation of the damage to the Constellation. All power plants dead. Reserve energy banks operative at a very low power level. Life support systems? Also operative at a low power level. The entire bridge is damaged and uninhabitable. The rest of the ship seems able to sustain life. Radiation levels? Normal, but subspace interference makes readings difficult. No other vessels in the area, Captain. All scanners show clear. One thing I want to say about this episode that I, I, I like, one thing, and especially this is a second season episode, The Doomsday Machine, uh, written by Norman Spinred. The thing that you start to get in the second season of, of Star Trek, the original series, is you get a sense more of there's a Starfleet of of starships. You know, there's a fleet of starships. A dozen was the, was the number that was usually tossed around. And you get a little more sense that there's more than just the Enterprise out there patrolling and, and fixing things and taking care of the, of the galaxy. So that's nice that, you know, you get an idea that there are other crews, other captains. Well, of course, this ship is, is badly damaged, and, and Kirk and Scotty and Dr. McCoy beam over to the Constellation to see what's happened. And they find the captain, who is actually, his rank is a Commodore, they find Commodore Matt Decker. An interesting side note, some of you may know already, but in the Star Trek The Motion Picture, Will Decker, who was the first officer, actually was the captain of the Enterprise that, that Kirk basically took it away from him in that movie, but Will Decker was basically supposed to be Matt Decker's son. They don't really talk about it in the movie, but it's kind of one of those side things that, you know, both named Decker, about the right age situation... For, for Matt Decker to have a son of that age at that time. So just an, a side note there. So anyway, Kirk and the repair party and Dr. McCoy are over now on the Constellation checking things out, and they find Commodore Decker, who looks like he's seen better days. He's pretty messed up. He looks like he hasn't slept. He's got a stubble on his face. He, he looks pretty bad. The, the neat thing I like about this also that they do here is it's one of the first times you see uh, – a uniform, a Starfleet-like uniform, but it has a different insignia. I don't know what you kind of call it for the Constellation. It sort of looks like a Q with another little piece on the bottom of it, but the idea in the time of the original series was that the uniforms on the different ships were the same, but they would have different different little insignias. Like the Enterprise crew has that sort of, it looks like kind of an A with a star in the middle for command on the tunics on their shirts. But all the other captains, not captains, just uh, all the other crews on the other starships all had their own insignias, which I like that idea. And what happens by the time of the movies is they all sort of adopt that A-type symbol um, for the, they also call it a Delta Shield because it's looking like that, uh, you know, Delta letter. But in this era, they all have their own insignias. So that's enough about that. But they find Commodore Decker, and he tells them basically, um, tells them his story, what's happened. And here's that clip. We couldn't run. What happened to your crew? Oh, I, I had to beam them down. Oh, we, we were dead. No power or phasers, useless. I stayed behind. 
Last man, captain, last man aboard the ship. That's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Uh, and then it hit again, and the, the transporter went out. There they were, down there, and I, I'm up here. What hit? What attacked you? They say there's no devil, Jim. But there is a... Right out of hell, I saw it! Matt, where's your crew? On the third planet. There is no third planet. Don't you think I know that? There was, but not anymore. They called me, they begged me for help. Four hundred of them. I could, I, I couldn't. <laughs> The wonderful actor William Wyndham plays Commodore Decker in this episode, and and I think he he just does a great great job with the part. I mean, he really nails it. He is he is just basically you know he's half out of his head for most of the episode, and and for what has happened to him, you know, his crew, his ship, he's he's devastated, and he just does a great great job in the in this show. And I, I really enjoy his performance and the way he handles himself. And you find out he's he's a good captain, but he is not Captain Kirk. I mean, he is quite a bit different. He seems like he'd be a lot more strict with his crew. He wouldn't be quite as friendly, maybe, as, as Captain Kirk is with some of the officers. And he's a little more by the book, it, it looks like. And there's another clip I'm going to play here where he's giving you a little more information about the Doomsday Machine. So listen to this. What does it look like? Well, it's it's miles long, with a with a maw that could swallow a dozen starships. It destroys planets, chops them into rubble. Well, what is it? An alien ship, or is it alive, or is both, or neither? I don't know. Matt, your log stated that the fourth planet was breaking up. You went in to investigate. We saw this thing hovering over the planet, slicing out chunks of it with a force beam. Did you run a scanner check on it? What kind of a beam? Pure anti-proton. Absolutely pure. So there's this big floating doomsday machine weapon running around this solar system out there, and that is what has destroyed the constellation. It wiped out Commodore Decker's crew that he put down on a planet, which then the doomsday machine uh, went ahead and destroyed. That, uh, that was you know, an awful thing for him to have to go through. And he really, really shows a lot of emotion about that part, which is understandable. And I like, I like that in the performance. I like that he's not just this stoic kind of captain and it's like, well, you know, these things happen. No, he's, he's reacting the way, you know, it seems real. It seems good to me. I mean, not good as in, Hey, everything's good, but just just very, very believable. Now we'll move along a little bit in the episode. So what happens, Commodore Decker, Dr. McCoy being back to the Enterprise because he's, you know, heard a little bit and kind of messed up and check him out and all that, get him back to safety in a way. And Kirk and the rest of the damage control party stay aboard uh, the Constellation to try to get it fixed enough so that it can at least kind of limp its way back to uh, a star base. And now there's a clip I'm going to play with um, getting a report on what's going on with the, the repairs on the Constellation and what they need to do. Here's something with uh, Captain Kirk and Scotty. Well, we just can't stand around while our ship is being attacked. Scotty, you've got to get me some maneuvering power. I can't repair warp drive without a space dock. Then get me impulse power, half speed, quarter speed, anything. If we can get this hulk moving, maybe we can do something. Aye. The impulse engines are still in fair shape. I might coax them and get moving. Come along, lad. Washburn, you get in there. Let's see what we can do about this viewing screen. I've got to find out what's happening out there. So it's it's pretty obvious that the Constellation is in bad shape, but with Scotty aboard the Constellation and Captain Kirk and a few others, they're able to pull things back together and, and, and get it going and work on that. So now back on the Enterprise, though, now Commodore Decker and Dr. McCoy, when they beam back... Uh, Spock announces red alert. Spock was left in command on the Enterprise, and they rush to the bridge, you know, red alert and all that. 
then they find that the doomsday machine has shown up and starts going after the Enterprise. And then you have the big thing that really, to me, one of the great things about this episode, the thing that happens is Commodore Decker decides to take over, take command of the Enterprise from Spock, and basically he's he outranks him. So that that's his, his justification for that. And I'm going to play a clip from that part uh, right now. Mr. Spock, I am officially notifying you that I am exercising my option under regulations as a Starfleet Commodore and that I am assuming command of the Enterprise. You have the right to do so, but I would advise against it. That thing must be destroyed. You tried to destroy it once before, Commodore. The result was a wrecked ship and a dead crew. I made a mistake then. We were too far away. This time I'm going to hit it with full phasers at point-blank range. Sensors show the object's hull is solid neutronium. A single ship cannot combat it. Mr. Spock, that will be all. You have been relieved of command. Don't force me to relieve you of duty as well. do this doctor you are out of line so are you sir well spock unfortunately starfleet order 104 section b leaves me no alternative paragraph 1a clearly states to blazes with regulations you can't let him take command when you know he's wrong if you can certify commodore decker medically or psychologically unfit for command i can relieve him under section c i'll certify that right now a real good exchange there between Leonard Nimoy, William Wyndham, um, from you know Mr. Spock and Commodore Decker. The, you know they're they're really uh, they really do the, a good job with that. Spock's the the Vulcan. He he obeys orders. He doesn't really bend the rules. You know, obviously if Kirk was there, he never really would have let Commodore Decker take over, even if he did outrank him. That just, it just yeah, Kirk wouldn't wouldn't stand for that, and that comes into play in, in a few and later in the episode anyway. So then uh, Commodore Decker, now he's in command. He decides, hey, I got a new clean starship. Let's attack, and he goes after the Doomsday Machine. Now you know you'd think the guy would have learned, but he's obviously messed up with what happened to his ship and crew, and he's he's you know basically he's kind of looking for revenge. He's he's trying to. Hey, this thing wiped out my crew, wiped out my ship. I'm taking it out, and I'm taking it out now. And he doesn't really understand. It just can't be done in the way he's going about it. He's basically trying to to whack away at this thing, this weapon from the outside. Spock tells him, "Well, you know, there's just it's not going to work. This the hull of the thing is too strong. Their their weapons can't penetrate it. They can't stop it." And again, he he doesn't understand that. He thinks if he gets close enough somehow, which I don't really understand what he's going after there. I mean, phasers have a certain range, and they, you know, whether they're 10 feet away or 100 yards or, or you know, kilometers and kilometers away, like like ship-to-ship combat, if they hit, I don't think that there's any difference in energy between, you know, it's 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 a light beam-type situation. Now, again, it's this is all science fiction fantasy made up, but... Not really understanding the idea. It's not like a shotgun when you shoot somebody with a shotgun and you you know you're right next to them versus a hundred yards away. Yeah, that's going to make a difference. A phaser, you know, as long as it's it's within the range of it, I don't think it makes any difference at all uh, on how hard it's hitting. So that's just a side point. Now we're moving on. The next part that I wanted to play for you is the Enterprise gets caught in a tractor beam from the Doomsday Machine. You know, they're taking shot pot shots at it. Nothing's happening, but they're too close, and, and the, the firing stops, and the Doomsday Machine starts to pull them inside the front maw of it. And Spock's, like, telling Decker, hey, you know, we got to get out of here. We can't do anything. We need to leave. And that clip is coming up right now. You must veer off. Maintain phaser fire, Helmsman. We have lost warp power. If we don't break the tractor beam within 60 seconds, we never will. But don't you understand? We've got to destroy it! That, sir, is illogical. It is suicide. Attempted suicide would be proof that you are psychologically unfit for command. If you don't veer off, I shall relieve you on that basis. 
They're off. Emergency impulse power. So Commodore Decker agrees to to leave, and they're having trouble doing that. You know, they're stuck. It's like you know the Millennium Falcon being pulled into the Death Star. They they can't escape. So. They're getting sucked inside. Well, by this point in time, Captain Kirk and Scotty, they've gotten the Constellation moving. And they decide that, you know, Kirk gets a uh, view screen going and he sees the Enterprise being pulled into the Doomsday Machine. And he's like, hey, that's my ship. we got to do something about this. So he finds out from Scotty, surprise, surprise, you know, Scotty, the miracle worker, has some phasers recharged. So it's time to attack, Kirk says. And they do. Keep pouring it on, Scotty. Captain, I still don't know what we're doing. We're moving. The Enterprise isn't. Maybe that thing will see us. Let the Enterprise go. I only had some phasers. Phasers? You've got them. I have one bank recharged. Scotty, just earned your pay for the week. Stand by. Fire phasers. Loose, Commodore. Good boy, Jim. Between the two of us, we'll kill that thing. Mr. Scott, it worked. Great. I think it's great. Scotty, get us out of here. What now takes place is that Commodore Decker on the Enterprise and Kirk on the Constellation kind of play ping pong with this doomsday machine. One shoots, pulls it away. Another one shoots, pulls it away. And... What it has, what Spock kind of mentions, and it's pretty obvious, is it has sort of a, a certain range of threat, a threat radius around the Doomsday Machine. If you're close enough to it, it it'll start paying attention to, attention to you. And the Enterprise moves off, veers off, after it, after it shoots back, after the Constellation distracts it. It veers off, it gets out of that threat radius, and so it basically starts, you know, it just doesn't really chase after them, it ignores them. I don't know if there are any people out there that are world of warcraft players or, or rpg role players I, I play that game but it, the the creatures that you fight in that game they have a certain threat radius also and if you run away from them they just stop they ignore you and then they go about their business same thing here with the doomsday machine you get far enough away from it it just goes nah you're not important to me anymore so it leaves you alone so that happens they the doomsday machine's just floating around heading back to the plants to sort of chop them up into fuel is what it does it chops them up and then sort of consumes it in a way, and then that's how it keeps itself powered and going. And then the next part I was going to play, which which is another really great exchange uh, in this episode, is when Captain Kirk discovers, well, what the heck was the Enterprise doing firing on that thing anyway? And much to his dismay, he discovers that Commodore Decker has taken control of his ship. And as most people are, come to expect and understand... Kirk is not too pleased about that. What's going on? Give me Mr. Spock. I'm in command here, Jim. What happened to Spock? Nothing. I assumed command according to regulations. Since your first officer was reluctant to take aggressive action against the... I mean, you're the lunatic who's responsible for almost destroying my ship? You are speaking to a senior officer, Kirk. Give me Spock. I told you I am in command here, according to every rule in the book, Captain. If you have anything to say at all, you will say it to me. There's only one thing I want to say to you, Commodore. Get my ship out of there. Mr. Spock, ship status. Commodore. Down here. Warp drive out. Deflector shields down. Transporter under repair. We are on emergency impulse power. How long to repair warp drive? At least one solar day. At our present rate of consumption, we'll exhaust our impulse power long before then. It's gaining on us, sir. Take evasive action, Mr. Sulu. I told you I am in command here, and I will give the orders, Captain. We are going to turn and attack. Not with my ship, you don't. Mr. Spock, relieve Commodore Decker immediately. That's a direct order. You can't relieve me, and you know it. According to regulations... Blast regulations. Mr. Spock, I order you to assume command on my personal authority as captain of the Enterprise. Commodore Decker, you are relieved of command. I don't recognize your authority to relieve me. You may file a formal protest with Starfleet Command, assuming we survive to reach a Stora base. But you are relieved. Commodore, I do not wish to place you under arrest. Uh -oh. 
you wouldn't dare. You're bluffing. Balkans never bluff. No. No, I don't suppose that they do. Very well, Mr. Spock. The bridge is yours. So in traditional and good Kirk fashion, he gets... uh, Decker off the bridge of his ship, of off the Enterprise, gets Spock back in command, and all seems pretty pretty okay. But what happens then, and as most of you know if you've seen this, Commodore Decker is supposed to be going down to see Dr. McCoy and blah, blah, blah. Well, he gets in a little fight with the security guy escorting him, and he heads to the shuttlecraft bay. Now, here's another one of these things that happens on Star Trek, happens on any TV show, that you have to sort of suspend your disbelief for a second. Somehow this guy, you know, and he, yeah, he understands starships, and, and granted, I guess he could get around things, so maybe it's not quite as unbelievable, but he hops in a shuttle on the Enterprise, pops open the doors in the back of the ship, flies the ship, the shuttle out, and <laughs> they can't stop him or do anything. I guess you can assume that he knows the right the right codes and overrides and, and ways to get around all the security. But I think it's kind of funny because it's uh, there's just this little blinking light on Sulu's station on the bridge, which 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 always kind of seemed bizarre to me. I mean, why why would uh, the helmsman of the ship have a little blinking light on his console that says, "Hey, somebody's opening the the bay doors and a shuttle's leaving." Wow, you know, oh, are there no other people on this ship to keep track of this kind of stuff? So. But, you know, that that's one of those conventions of TV when you have a, a limited crew and budget and, and certain actors in place that, well, who would really notice that kind of thing? I, if anyone would have really noticed it, to me, it would have been the communications officer because she should be in charge and control of everything that's going on on the ship and people should be relaying information to her. And somebody down there in the shuttlecraft bay should say, hey, by the way, why, why is the shuttlecraft leaving? And, did you know, why are we doing that? So, but anyway... I, I, dig, I digress, excuse me. So so uh, Matt Decker has taken an, uh, a shuttle from the Enterprise and is heading towards the Doomsday Machine. And his idea is that somehow it's almost a suicide mission, or it is a suicide mission and run. He thinks that if he rams the, the shuttle and blows it up inside the Doomsday Machine that maybe he can take that thing with him. And I'm not going to play anything really from that sequence, but... Or actually, excuse me, I am going to play something. I just, I'm looking at my list here. I do have a a little clip of that. So we're going to play now. This would be when Commodore Decker, I I believe this clip is the part where he's already taken the shuttle out and Kirk's trying to talk him out of it. So let's listen to that now. This is Kirk. Matt, you'll be killed. I've been prepared for death ever since I, ever since I killed my crew. No one expects you to die for an error in judgment. The commander is responsible for the lives of his crew and for their deaths. Well, I should have died with mine. You cannot succeed, Commodore. Your only logical alternative is to return to the ship. And again, Commodore Decker is is still really distraught about losing his crew, his ship. And he is, of course, committed to to doing what he's planning on doing, even though he... I think deep down he didn't really think that he could destroy it, but he was going to do whatever he could do to try to stop it, even if that meant uh, his own life. I'm going to throw in an interesting little side part here. I I think I have, excuse me, I think I have a link up on my main page on my website to the Star Trek New Voyages, one of the fan films I've mentioned before. I, I really urge anyone that hasn't looked at that yet. They have, uh, I believe it was their last film that they put out, and the name of that episode is Escaping Me. I'll have to look it up. Let me look that up real quick. Okay, the the second episode that they put out was called In Harm's Way, and I would really urge anyone that enjoys this, the Doomsday Machine, uh, this episode of Star Trek, to check that uh, New Voyage's film out you know the new voyages crew is basically doing kind of like a season four and five for the original uh star trek series well that that episode in particular 
really takes off on the whole doomsday machine concept. And I don't want to give much away, but let's just say that there is a special guest star in there named Matt Decker, and he's also played still by William Wyndham. And they do an excellent job of incorporating a lot of elements in that that episode. I think they do a, a, a wonderful job. There's just tons of stuff going on in that episode, and I I really highly urge anyone out out there listening to to check it out. So check out Star Trek: New Voyages on uh, with more with uh, Matt Decker and the Doomsday Machine. But now back to our the main show and story. So Decker has has taken the shuttle in. It didn't didn't do it. But Spock notices that there was a small power drop in, in the output that was uh, coming, that was reading off the Doomsday Machine. So Kirk thinks, hmm, they had a little shuttlecraft fly in there. Man, that's that's nowhere near the size of the Enterprise and the power output. He thinks that they could take uh, the Constellation and do the same trick and really blow the place up. So this is an exchange now. There's going to be a clip here that will discuss Kirk's plan to try to destroy the Doomsday Machine. Listen to this. You're getting dangerously close to the planet killer. I intend to get a lot closer. I'm going to ram her right down that thing's throat. Jim, you'll be killed, just like Decker. No, no, I don't intend to die, Mr. Spark. We've rigged a delayed detonation device. You'll have 30 seconds to beam me aboard the Enterprise before the Constellation's impulse engines blow. Your chances of survival are not promising. We don't even know if the explosion will be powerful enough. A calculated risk, Mr. Spock. There's another factor, Captain. The transporter is not working at 100% efficiency. 30 seconds is very slim timing. A chance I'll have to take, Kirk out. This is uh, a, one of a, a classic, very classic cliffhanger-type Star Trek move that they do uh, in future episodes. But I don't know, this This was done probably one of the best best times they ever did it, I think, on the original series, where it's a nick of time, beam me out, destroy the the enemy machine thing, and, you know, a nick of time solution. Scotty, you know, they're working in the Jeffries tube, trying to get the transporter working, and, and Kirk, uh, the big hero, the captain of the Enterprise. You know, on the next generation, they, they got into that whole thing with Picard and, the first officer, Riker, or other people would get more uh, into doing these dangerous missions. There was like, hey, you know, the captain of the Enterprise or the captain of the ship should not be off doing this dangerous stuff. But I don't know. I kind of like the, the whole thing about the original series and where Kirk would always throw himself in jeopardy or, or you know, the main officers. You know, in re- in reality, you know, let's let's say, for example, in the Navy these days, and I'm not I'm not a Navy guy or a military guy, and I'm not – at any, in any way an expert on things. But the little bit that I do know from, from history and from, you know, hearing from other people that have, I know people that have been in the military, is that, you know, the, the, the guy on the, you know, the bridge of the aircraft carrier Enterprise, and they're, they're out on a patrol and there's some kind of mission going on or whatever, he does not go out there and jump in a, the cockpit of a plane and launch off and start bombing places or whatever, you know. That, that just doesn't happen, so... It's it's TV, you know. It, it, in essence, it's TV. But these are the heroes. These are the guys that that get the job done. And the one thing that I do like about it is that, it, and I think that, uh, I don't know how to say this. It, it shows that you know, and Kirk always would say this. He he doesn't do things that he would, or he doesn't send people in to do things that he wouldn't be willing and, and able to do himself. And I think that means a lot. You know, there there are. Uh, it's just you don't see that kind of behavior sometimes in in, in real life anymore, and and I I really you know it's something that I kind of admire, and one of the reasons that I like Star Trek in general is just that the sacrifices and that he, you know here are the big shots, here are the big guys, you know it's like the the presidents of companies or the the you know whatever the head guys these these guys put themselves on the line every day. It's not just the little worker bees that they send out there to do things, but but these are the guys out there doing it. And I'm getting way off track. Let's get back to the Doomsday Machine, okay? So, uh, Kirk's got his plan. They're going to overload the Constellation and ram it in there and beam out in time. Now, one thing I wanted to say is, especially when I was younger, I built a lot, built a lot of Star Trek models. And the effects in this episode in the Doomsday Machine, while they're not that bad... The one effect of the constellation 
going into the the mouth or the maw of the Doomsday Machine is an old AMT model kit Enterprise that somebody built and kind of melted an engine with a with a flame and it's not really well done. They don't have any of the detail painted on it and it looks really I'll even say it looks really cheesy. And I think they you know I wish they would have done a better job. Heck, I, sometimes I wish that somebody had did you know even though this is a George Lucas kind of move with Star Wars, I kind of wish that they would have just slightly you know changed some of those effects like that one especially. Maybe on one of the DVD releases. Or or they could just put these little, you know, maybe some slightly different or newer effects. And I don't mean redo the whole thing or revamp it completely, but it, it, it might have been a neat idea if you were able to watch the original episode the way it was and then a new one with some maybe slightly enhanced effects. But that one always kind of, I mean, the engine looks like it's about ready to fall off and wobble right off the, the Constellation as it's flying into the Doomsday Machine in this episode. So I find that kind of... It, most of the time it's okay their effects of course aren't the best in this series but the this one's almost a little distracting in a way so just thought i'd say that now of course you get kirk uh, putting his plan into motion and of course at the last second the transporter starts to mess up again and i'm going to play a clip now from that little exchange of let's get kirk back and finish this off so here we go Bridge! We got him through! Energy output zero. Radiation level normal. But of course they get him back in time. He's, he's Captain Kirk. He's William Shatner. He's the Shat. So that's uh, that's the end pretty much of that show. One more clip I'm going to play from it is the exchange with uh, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock when he's back on the bridge of the Enterprise. And this sort of almost sets up what happens in the Star Trek New Voyages episode where they're discussing the Doomsday Machine and it being this this terrible weapon kind of floating around out in the galaxy and them talking about, well, I wonder if there's any more of these around. Uh, play that uh, right now. Ironic, isn't it? Way back in the 20th century... The H-bomb was the ultimate weapon, their doomsday machine. And we used something like it to destroy another doomsday machine. Probably the first time such a weapon has ever been used for constructive purposes. Appropriate, Captain. However, I can't help wondering if there are any more of those weapons wandering around the universe. Well, I certainly hope not. I found one quite sufficient. Well, okay, that is The Doomsday Machine. Second season episode, Norman Spinrad, a wonderful science fiction author, wrote it. Has some wonderful music in this episode, too. Some some really good music that I really enjoy uh, the way it, it, it's cut into the episode. Yeah, the uh, the music is by Sol Kaplan for this episode, and I think this is a, a really good uh, score that he did for this particular show. So that's it, original uh, second season Star Trek uh, episode, The Doomsday Machine. Love it. Go watch it again and show anyone who's never seen it. It's uh, it's a great show. We're going to take a break now and be back with the segment on the Han Solo Blaster collectible. Be right back. And we're back to the the collectible section of the podcast, and I hope people are enjoying this, and I'd like to get a little more feedback on collectibles from folks. Most most of the feedback and emails that I'm getting are obviously on the main section, which is on Star Trek most of the time, and a little other little sci-fi elements. But I'd like to hear from any collectors that are finding these segments uh, interesting, enjoyable, or, or folks that may have uh, gone off and looked for things or purchased items based on what I've been talking about. Uh, I'm obviously a big fan of, of a lot of the stuff I've been talking and collecting and just uh, going over on the show. So, And I noticed one of the reasons or one of, one of the things I did when uh, I was going to start this podcast was I looked uh, quite a bit at podcasts and what was out there, and I did not find uh, very many uh, types of podcast that talked about collectibles and it's a pretty big area i mean obviously there are 
people collect just about anything these days, but I collect this kind of stuff, props, uh, toys, things from science fiction, fantasy-type movies, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Star Trek items, and that. So it's a lot of fun for me, and I, I just had an idea over this uh, the last day or so is that one one of the things I'm going to do here in the near future and post it up on my website, on the, on the main website, is I'm going to take a little video of uh, a lot of the stuff in my uh, collection, just kind of a tour of it, I guess, so to speak, of the basement and the way I have things displayed and set up, and I'm going to post that video up just to give people a feel for things because it's difficult with just talking about one particular collectible each podcast to go and, and give you a feel for for what I've got, but I've got a lot more than I've talked about, and, and people that know me will will swear to that, that's for sure. So, But anyway, please send me feedback about this segment, e- even though you know there may be people out there that aren't are really big collectors of this stuff, but I hope you're finding uh, finding it interesting. So, so this week, we're going to talk about uh, the Master Replica's Han Solo Blaster. Now this piece, there's a little bit of history here. Master Replica's has been around... Well, it's going on four years or so now, maybe a little bit longer than that. The, uh, the the history is there was a company called Icons that was around for a short period of time prior to Master Replicas, and they had the license to produce Star Wars replicas, things like lightsaber hilts and blasters and so forth. And I did actually get a, uh, a New Hope uh Luke Skywalker lightsaber version from them, which is just, it is a nice piece. I still have have it. Um, but then one of the big pieces they were going to produce was this replica that Master Replicas eventually did, a Han Solo blaster. But the situation that happened was basically Icons just sort of folded up. They took deposits. I even deposited money for this blaster with them because they had prototypes built. They sent out photos. But it was taking forever. Months and months were going by with no information coming out. And people were not happy. And I, of course, I I can't remember exactly how much money I had put down on it, but uh, I lost that money. But the nice thing that ended up happening was Master Replicas came around. And this is in the time frame of 2002. Now, what happened was Master Replicas, the, a really nice thing that they did at the time, and a few people I know took advantage of this that I told them about, if you could prove, and I had an invoice from Icons, the company that folded up and basically went bankrupt and out of business before they produced uh, any Han Solo blasters, they uh, Master Replicas, what they did is if you ordered their blaster, they gave you uh, a price cut on it. If you could prove that you had pre-ordered one, from icons and and I've always thought that, that was a wonderful and and a real nice thing that that master replicas did at the time. Now there was no connection that I know of, but maybe some per- people that eventually worked for master replicas may have worked at icons. I don't know all those details, but there was no. It's not like they took over icons, so there was no. They had no commitment to previous customers of icons. They just decided, hey, let's get our company going. This was one of the first products they produced, and they said, hey, we'll give people a discount on it if they can prove that they had ordered one but never obviously received it from Icons. And I, I, my hat's off to them for doing that. I think that was a wonderful thing. So enough a little bit about that. We'll, um, talking about their, uh, their replica, let me pick it up here. It's quite heavy, actually. Now, the, um, the blasters in Star Wars, like lightsabers and other items in there, were, were based on a, you know original... Uh, weaponry and items that were were fairly common and easy to find. For example, the lightsaber hilts in a, in a lot of the original Star Wars movies were based off of flash uh, old camera flashes, you know, the old kind that you'd see in the 19, you know, 40, 50 movies that the guys who were photographers would go around and put the flash bulb in. There there's a a flash tube that comes up off the camera that holds the the uh, that circular thing that the flash bulb goes into those flash tubes were what eventually uh, made by a company called graflex those were eventually made into lightsabers but the blasters were the especially the han solo and luke skywalker eventually has one is based on a uh, it's a german weapon i'm not a weapon expert but i know enough about these replicas to know that this is based off a german mauser 
pistol. It's also called like a broom handle pistol because of the shape of the uh, handle on it with the wooden type grips. So that these, uh, but obviously they, what they, what George did and what the people that worked on the movies did is they took these, these sort of commonplace, you know, sort of common old weapons and things. And they created uh, sort of a futuristic style to them. They added a different kind of muzzle on the end, a different kind of scope, and other little doodads on it to make it look a little more futuristic. Now, just to give you my comments on this this item, I think, again, this was the first item that Master Replicas produced. It's uh, a nice, it's got a real nice weight to it. It's it's powder-coated, I believe, is the, the paint job on it. They put some weathering and detail and it has a working uh, working trigger. I don't know if you'll hear this, but it has a working trigger and a hammer that you can pull back and cock and pull. Now, obviously, it doesn't shoot out a laser beam. Now, that'd be that'd be cool. But um, but anyway, it's 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 a real solid piece. I mean, it feels this is not a toy by any means. It it feels a lot like you know maybe what this would feel like to Tahan as he's carrying it around on his hip, you know, shooting Greedo first because he shot. Greedo first. I don't care what anybody else says. So, but this Master Replicas piece, they did a great job. Now, there's some people I know, I, I visit prop forums and discussion groups about that kind of stuff, and people say that the weathering on it is kind of so-so. I think it's pretty good, actually. It came out in 2002. It was one of the first items they produced, and I think they did a nice job. Now, Master Replicas, since then, the, the kind of unique or unusual thing about this item is it was made in the United States. Since then... I think just about everything they produced uh, in recent years has been made in China. Now, a lot of things are made in China. Just uh, It's a cost issue is what it really comes down to. But this one actually says on the very bottom of it, it says made in the USA. In 2002, uh, copyright Lucasfilm Limited, Master Replicas, and so forth. So it's a great piece. I really, uh, really like it. It's uh, Actually, it's become quite valuable. Now, I collect these things because I like them. I enjoy them. I like to display them. It's, it's a piece of movie, kind of movie history almost. It's obviously not the one that was used in the movies, but it's as close as I can get to that. The ones that you they use in the films cost considerably more. So I like this stuff. I don't buy it as really an investment or whatever. But this one, these these uh, Master Replica blasters from the New Hope version, they they put out an Empire Strikes Back version one recently, with it's you know it's got a slightly different look to it. But this one, which was one of their first pieces, they didn't produce a lot of them, and they're they're fairly rare, and it goes for you know over a thousand dollars on eBay it easily these days. It goes up and down. I mean, I've even seen them quite a bit higher than that, but that, that's probably about average or so. And it's a, it's a great piece. comes with a nice display case. I'm going to put some pictures on the website, and I, I really, really enjoy it. And it's something that I, I enjoy having this in my collection. So, But that's it on the Han Solo Blaster. We're going to come back and take a quick break here and then come back with some final comments on show number 10. Okay, we're back with the final closing thoughts for this podcast for this week. Uh, a couple things I wanted to mention. I, I mentioned it already. Uh, again, uh, if you'd like to get in touch with me, either put a message up on the forum or send me an email at treksf at gmail.com. Again, I, I appreciate everyone that's listening to the show. Please, if you if you get a chance, I, I'd love to get a vote over at Podcast Alley. I know that there are a lot of these different podcast listing sites up. There's a Yahoo one now. There's iTunes, although iTunes, I don't think you can vote or do anything like that but they maybe track uh, downloads somehow. I'm not sure if they even do that. But I'm just kind of focused on po- – and there's Podcast Pickle, but I'm just kind of focused on Podcast Alley right now. Uh, but if you can, uh, there's a, a link on my website on the podcast section of it to to go to a direct link to vote for the show, and I'd really appreciate it. Or you can go to just go to podcastalley.com, search for – excuse me – search for Treks, at, Treks in Sci-Fi, and cast your vote for this month for November. I'd, I'd really appreciate any votes or comments that you can put in there. The uh, next week's show, what we're going to do is something a little bit different. I, when I originally created this podcast, you know, it's called Treks and Sci-Fi, and it's been mainly a, a Star Trek and a collectible podcast. And that, you know, I, I do enjoy those things, but I don't want that to become the whole um, 
you know, the whole universe of this podcast. So next week we're going to do something a little different. Next week's show, I am going to play clips, audio clips again, from some of my favorite science fiction and we'll call it fantasy, science fiction slash fantasy films that, I, that I've enjoyed over the years. Now, I'll probably be putting a few of the classics in there, although I may stay away from the typical Star Trek and Star Wars movies. I haven't really decided yet. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do, actually. I'm going to, those are off limits. I mean, I consider those some of my favorites, of course, Star Trek and Star Wars films as it is. So I'm going to stick away, stay away from those. But we're going to do a show about other science fiction films, science fiction or fantasy films that I've enjoyed over the years. So, you know, maybe some, some that are a little more obscure, some things that people haven't seen perhaps, but there'll be some of my favorites, maybe five to ten of them, depending on how many, probably more like about five. And I'm going to be talking about that. I think I will still do a collectible segment. Yeah, I'm going to do that because I have a new piece I got fairly recently that I really want to talk about. This is a, it's by a company called Sideshow Toys which I haven't talked about much in the past. Most of it's been master replicas from that company. But this is a uh, replica Terminator arm. And if you go to, I think it's side, so sideshowtoys.com, you can see it. But it's a, uh, it's a Terminator movie piece, and it's really, really cool. And I'll put some pictures up next week, of course, and talk about that on next week's show. So next week, sci-fi movies and the Terminator arm we're going to be talking about mainly. And I'll probably try to slip in another little interview segment like I did this show. Please, again, give me feedback. Tell me what you thought. This show, I know, is going to be a lot longer. We're going to be shooting to an hour now. And that may be the case from now on. I don't know. I decided to kind of let go of that 45-minute time limit. I, I found it a little bit restricting. And, hey, it's my podcast. I can have it as long as I want, right? So this is Rico signing off for this week, folks. I hope you have a great week ahead. I'll be doing some traveling for work. And, yeah, that's okay once in a while. I don't do it very often. So it's all right. See the sights. Anyway, have a good week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dosti production. <laughs>